Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome, welcome. Today we have Brian Boucher, Principal Product Marketing Manager at Smartsheet. Brian, welcome on the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. It's very exciting to be on our uh, our family members podcast. So excited that you're starting it up. Yes. yes. For, for those who don't know, uh, Smartsheet acquired Brand Folder. Brian, you were once in our shoes, right? As an independent entrepreneur. I was. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your story and how you landed at Smartsheet? Yeah, definitely. And just to make sure I am the first family member on the podcast, right? You didn't invite anyone before me. I got the elite number one spot. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're the first to sit down. Yeah, at I love Brandfolder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I was the yeah, I was the CEO and co-founder of a startup called Slope, and it was basically project management software for marketing and creative teams. So Smartsheet acquired us in early 2019 to really help add in content collaboration capabilities. So reviewing content, managing content. So I was looking longingly at Brandfolder for years going, oh, if only. And then it finally happened in, in 2020 um, when we brought Brandfolder in. So that was really exciting. But yeah, so I, I was at Slope for about five years. We actually started as a creative agency in Detroit and we did mostly video work for different brands. And we basically through our work found that one of the most annoying and challenging and painful parts of video work is the review process. And if anyone gives feedback on videos or sends sends videos out to clients. It's just endless email chains, endless feedback, change the song, but we're on version 20 and we cut the entire thing to the song. And there's just, there's so much pain in that process. So we built an internal tool to help us get feedback from our clients on our video work with, you know, timestamped comments, version control, everyone going to one place. And it worked so well that we decided to turn it into a software company. We moved to Seattle, uh, went through the Microsoft Ventures Accelerator that they had and partnered with Smartsheet for about a year before the acquisition, doing kind of co-sales together and thought it was a great partnership. And they acquired us in 2019. And since then, we've added in proofing, content collaboration, Adobe integrations, brand folder integrations, all sorts of great stuff in the uh, marketing creative world. Oh, I, that's as a video producer that like speaks to my heart. I, I often, yeah. uh, lament when any creatives talking about the review process. Cause what, a what a learning challenge that is. You software can't fix people though. So we never <laughs> promise that, but it makes it easier for good processes. If you have the right tools in place. Oh, well, I appreciate it. And you also, in addition to this sort of I'm going to say remarkable ascent uh, to where you are now at Smartsheet. You have a personal TikTok following mm -hmm. and I want to hear about your TikTok following, how that started, and then how you implement that perspective in your capacity at Smartsheet. Yeah. So at Slope, we worked with a lot of media companies, sports, uh, entertainment. So we worked with a lot of brands that were always exploring the new social platforms that we're launching. You know, I feel like in the last two years, there's been like six new social platforms that have launched. So they were always trying to stay on top of it. And as, you know, working with them pretty consistently, I wanted to always be learning about the new platforms as well. So I think TikTok did their first like huge campaign and huge push to get users in like early 2019 in the U.S. And so I kept seeing it over and over. I'm sure everyone saw like the looping videos. You're know, like, what is this TikTok? Is this Vine again? But I luckily had or maybe not so luckily had a long commute every day on the bus. <laughs> 
I thought I would download it, give it a shot and started just playing around with it just for kind of research. And, you know, this is the same for reels. This is the same for YouTube shorts. This is the same for kind of anything that would launch just to kind of see, uh, you know, how, how brands could use these new platforms. And I started out really just doing, um, dumb videos, just anything I saw around the house going along with trends, going around with audio. Uh, I never did a dance video that is currently published. So <laughs> those are all deleted. Uh, we did some travel videos. So I was just kind of playing around with the platform and then started getting a lot of traction when I, you know, they always say like niche down, niche down, however you pronounce that word. And I started doing photography tips because I love doing photography. I love doing creative work personally. And I had these like this series of iPhone photo tips that took off. I was taking a photo editing class at the time. So I was doing like Lightroom photo editing tips, all in these like 15 second format tutorials and grew to like over 300,000 followers, uh, you know, over a year. And since then, I've just continued to have fun with it and produce videos about creative tutorials, photography stuff I'm doing. Um, and it's been a lot of fun to have that audience size because you can experiment. You can kind of see what works if you if you have 10 followers, you know, you could produce a great video and it doesn't really matter. But if you have that audience, it's been giving me kind of the tools to try out things and experiment, which has been a lot of fun. That's awesome. It's 300,000 sounds like a, a quite a bit. Is that in the TikTok landscape? Are you a pretty prominent influencer in your, as you say, in your niche? I would say it's a lot um, for my niche, especially in photography. I would say early on though, in TikTok, it was a lot easier to grow up to that follower count. And I would say overall, probably TikTok followers are the least valuable. You know, if you had 300,000 YouTube subscribers, you could be full-time millionaire YouTuber. You know, you're doing that full-time <laughs> because of what, if you're 300,000 Twitter followers, huge. Um, yeah. If you have 300,000 Instagram, maybe a little less so because their algorithm doesn't really, you know, uh, prioritize uh, content as much. But for TikTok, yeah, it's, it's a good chunk. It allows me to get contacted by brands so I can see kind of the creator side of it allows me to get some good reach and make partnerships and, and make connections. So it's a decent amount, but I would say, yeah, TikTok's still pretty early on and it's much harder, I think, to get to that number now than it used to be back in 2019 when it first launched. I, I think I got 80,000 followers in a day at one point. So oh my you gosh. Could, you what could was skyrocket that early on. What video? Yeah. <laughs> I was in Truckee for Christmas yeah. and did a long exposure video. How to do a how to do a long exposure. I did like oh. light trails um, at sunset, wow. and it got 14 million views. So it just and 14 million views in like two or three days. No big and so deal. It just blew up. Yeah. I, wow. Once that dopamine hits, like you're yeah. talked about this before, but wow. The notifications, it's insane. Um, how do you edit your videos? How do you put them together just to get a little uh behind the, how the sausage is made. Yeah. I, so you have to get, you have to spend a lot of time editing early on because if you're not used to creating kind of the mobile video format and you're taking photos and you're trying to figure out how to bring everything together, it can take a while to figure out TikToks, um, you know, editing. So you can use TikTok natively. I do that when I use TikTok filters, same with like Instagram or Snapchat or YouTube, you know, whenever they have the native filters you use, you can edit within those tools themselves. But for kind of my workflow that I've implemented, I use Adobe Premiere Rush. So it's Premiere Pro's mobile editing program. It's really good, really fast. And you kind of can create templates where you can just say, all right, a tutorial is five scenes. It's 15 to 20 seconds. I'm going to add a voiceover and I'm done. It takes me 20 minutes. 
And so you kind of get into that workflow process of using the different tools or I'll use Canva for some things. I'll use, you know, Lightroom for a lot of others. So you kind of get your tool set that makes it really easy to be kind of the repeatable content creator. Uh, those repeatable formats. That's the key to success. That's for sure. And I was on the bus, so I didn't have time <laughs> to go home to my uh, editing machine or anything at home. Yeah, it's impressive. It's so it's it's such a cool thing to learn because I I'm a video producer by trade and my journey is so I still kind of look at mobile video producing as this uncharted territory where I'm like, people are doing what with their telephones? What? Uh, It makes me feel like a dinosaur. (laughs) It's such a hassle. Like I shoot everything on my iPhone. And, you know, I think about like, I have a Sony a7 III and I'm like, oh, like if I shoot with that, then I have to import it. And the files are massive. Like otherwise just click post done. Like it's so much faster and easier. So yeah, I usually just do uh, iPhone video. Do you feel That's like awesome. your audience responds to things that are shot on an iPhone more than, cause I do know that within the social landscape, there's some people that almost like uh, tilt their head at the more professional look. Well, that's hundred percent. It's almost like, especially on TikTok, and now you're seeing it across every social platform. If it's too produced, then people don't respond to it as much, especially if it's personal or individuals. You know, if you're putting together a sizzle reel, or if you're a sports team doing like a, a you know intro cut, or you're you're a media company or a film, great, make it as produced as you know as aligns with your brand. But yeah, if it's a person, if you're talking to the camera, it it's it can look overproduced, and people don't respond to that as well. That's so interesting. Have you tried social marketing with B2B? Using social media as a B2B company is sort of uh, new and maybe undefined. Yeah, so at Slope, I ran our marketing um, and we tried, we basically used the traction framework, which I loved. It's basically a, a really popular book founded or created by the founders of DuckDuckGo of like the 21 different ways to acquire customers. One of them was influencers and you have this like, this target that you shoot for and you put them in different tiers. So yeah, I, I saw influencer marketing in there and I'm like, okay, like you don't see as many B2B companies doing that. It was really interesting to me because it can be really authentic, a really good way to reach your audience. Um, and so I got pretty interested at Slope. We didn't really have the budget to pull it off at Slope as much. Um, we tried a little bit, but now it's Smartsheet seeing with our customers that we work with, um, seeing Smartsheet doing more of this, seeing more B2B companies doing this. It's a really interesting field. And I, you know, I'm particularly interested not in just like the LinkedIn influencer marketing because a lot of B2B companies do influencer marketing now. And, you know, you see like the Cisco champions, which is really successful where they're using LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm much more interested in influencers or creators who are doing more of the authentic, maybe storytelling, video creation, almost it's like entertainment as marketing rather than here's a LinkedIn post promoting this topic or this thing. Once you get into the video side of it and it's creators talking directly to the camera and to their audience, it's so much different than what you think of as maybe traditional influencer marketing where it's more product focused. So that's really where I'm interested in how can B2B companies take advantage of that authentic creator approach. Yeah, I love that. It's almost like we're, we're, we're peeling the veil back. Uh, like mm-hmm. as a B2B, it's almost like you're talking entity to entity. So it's maybe incongruous with an individual representing yes. you know, like that has a personality that has flaws. Um, cause it feels like usually corporate marketing would have to be so polished and so perfect before it hits the door. Yeah. But influencer marketing is sort of not that it's sort of imperfect by nature. Yeah. It's something with the rise of TikTok that has really 
hit home with a lot of social teams because TikTok is forcing you to have a voice. So if you were to go onto TikTok as a brand, what are you going to do? You can't have a brand talk. There's no one talking at a brand. You have to have (laughs) a human being doing it. And so that has become pervasive across Instagram, Twitter, all of the different channels. So you're absolutely right. You need to have a voice and there needs to be a human there. You can't just have corporate speak talking to other corporates, uh, you know, you know, social accounts. It's like a scramble to find your perfect persona that represents your brand. Yes. What's the, what's, what's the future? What's in the pipeline for influencer marketing in the B2B space from your perspective? Uh, well, so I'm going to start with the definition of this because this is kind of uh, the difference that I see between influencers and creators. And Zoe Skamen, who's one of my favorites, she runs uh, Bodacious Creative Strategy. She has a definition I love for this. So I'm going to read it real quick. Influencer is someone who builds an audience on a social platform through a curated and stylized profile and who earns money predominantly through brand sponsorships and partnerships. So that's kind of what you traditionally see as an influencer. And she writes a lot about there's kind of this new category called creator. And every social platform now has the creator fund, creator. It's all about creators now. It's kind of influencers isn't as, as, uh, as popular. A creator is someone who builds a community through creating their own content based on their area of passion, interest, expertise, and who earns money through their own direct-to-fan subscriptions, products, and services. So that doesn't mean they can't work with brands. They absolutely do work with brands, but it's much more of connecting to a community and engaging in that community instead of Kim Kardashian selling a makeup brand. Even though <laughs> right. she has she has done that transition because yeah. she's launched her own brands and services that yeah. she now can do. But it's much more around like for me, I love photography. I'm going to create content around photography, engage that community. I'm not really doing it to try to get these brand deals from everyone. So it's the kind of the creators that is really intriguing for the B2B world. We talked to the social media manager from Patreon, and he was very mm-hmm. passionate about this specific idea about the sort of creator yes. landscape and how yeah. they can support and how they can be very human as a company uh, in their mm-hmm. support of creators. I think that's a cool distinction. I also feel like maybe influencer is has sort of gained a stigma or a perception of what an influencer Definitely. is. I feel like whenever that word comes up in conversation, everybody kind of instantly is like, oh, oh like the front-facing yeah. camera. <laughs> the yes. like, hey, guys. You know, like, it's like this sort Hey, of, guys, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or we would always go, like, it's Thinkfluencer Brian when I do, like, a Thinkfluencer tweet or Thought Lord, or we would come up with all names off of it, absolutely. Oh, I love that. But, yeah, creator, I feel like, uh, maybe a, a while back they used to, mm-hmm. we used to call them makers. Is makers still a you? Is that, is that yeah. not a thing anymore? Makers. So that was really popular in Detroit because it was people who were building leather goods, jeans, you know, it was right. much more of a physical good maybe versus entertainment content. Right. So I would say that makers is still absolutely very, makers can also be creators. Creators can be makers. I think that might be the distinction though. I feel like brands can sometimes struggle with working with creators, uh, do you feel like there are certain barriers that you see and how do you, how do you overcome these barriers as a creator working with a brand? Yeah. Well, it starts on the brand side where I think a lot of B2B especially are hesitant to get into um, influencer marketing, creator marketing. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns, especially with newer platforms that launch of, you know, what are the demographics here? You know, I, I did a, a lot of persona research with different marketing teams over the summer and a lot of them spoke on this, especially with TikTok and reels and, you know, some of these newer platforms where they're like, okay, uh, I'm targeting a senior director. Are they on TikTok? Like, we don't know. We kind of have to see that. And 
Are they in uh, maybe a region that we're not trying to target? So starting an account or really targeting different, it's, it's harder. So I think there's hesitation on, okay, we, we need to know that our audience is actually on this platform. Um, does our brand voice make sense on this platform? So like you were saying, like, if you have to put a voice to it, you have to decide on the voice. And often deciding on that voice can be one of the hardest parts. You know, we're not all the Washington Post with like Dave just being the voice of their TikTok and building out a team <laughs> and being able to kind of nail that, that line and having that someone represent you that authentically. So I think there's a lot of hesitation of how do we target? What is our voice going to be? What's our strategy? And then really getting to know the platform better. So I think some of the companies that have done it best have been active on it and they're engaging with uh, creators. They're engaging with the community. They're understanding what the trends are. And one of my favorite examples of this is Emily Zugay um, was a pretty popular creator. Do you guys know Emily Zugay? Are you both on TikTok? That's my first question. Um, I am active? not. I'm a voyeur. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm a voyeur. I have an I'm, account. Okay. Yeah. I haven't made anything. I feel bad. I probably, I actually said the other day, I was like, if Brainfolder gets a TikTok, that's when I will probably do it. Um, I, cause I love, there's so many that are great and yeah. I totally get the, I mean, the future is here. It's video. And to have something that's snappy and fun, yep. um, I'm probably going to cave soon. So <laughs> I, I watch them enough where I'm like, I need to just do this. Yeah. Well, now everyone has a TikTok. You know, every platform has TikTok functionality. So right. it's, it's reels, it's shorts, it's Twitter. Like everyone is doing these kind of yes. short form videos. So this isn't exclusive to TikTok. These videos go on every platform but they kind of rise on TikTok. It's almost like Reddit where it's like the front page of the internet, like yes. it's where something starts. So mm -hmm. Emily Zugay had like 600,000 followers. So she was a, a pretty popular creator in her own right. And she did very, uh, she had this style of doing tutorials for things that were extremely simple and she would be curt and she was very deadpan and very funny. And she started this series where she would redesign popular logos. She said, I went to school for graphic design. Uh, so I decided to like, you know, redo these logos. And she would come up with the worst, most hilarious logos of all time. But her explanations were as if she was presenting at an agency. So it was incredible. She would like read it. She redid the Detroit Lions logo and she called it the Detroit Lions uh, she did the Starbucks logo and she's like, I don't like this face here. And like, why is there a circle? She did H&R block and she's like, I don't like the block. And she made it a circle. So she was just, she was just really going into her own voice and redesigning things. And it went crazy viral, tens of millions of views on all of these redesigns. And then all of these brands started to go in and ask for them to redesign their logos. So Adobe being Adobe, uh, they are very good at TikTok and very good on social. They yes. asked her to redesign their logo. So she said, you know, you know, Adobe knows what they're talking about, but you know, their logo is a little lackluster. So she <laughs> redesigned their logo. It was very funny. Adobe changed their logos across all platforms to that logo. They put it outside their building. They made a TikTok on it. Her TikTok of redesigning Adobe's logo got almost 20 million views. Oh and that gosh. was just them requesting in the comments, hey, can you redesign ours? And she went, sure. So that's creator marketing, influence marketing, kind of hopping in, being active on social, but not necessarily running a campaign. And then because of the success of that, they went in and sponsored her to do Emily's hot design tips because oh, it goes along with their brand. That. So she and that yes. got another, you know, millions of more <laughs> views. So it's really a company that 
uh, saw tr- a trend happening that was really aligned with their brand, hopped yes. in, participated, and then saw an opportunity to work with a creator that was doing a lot of things that uh, their audience was interested in design work. So Absolutely. I thought that was a really good example of a brand working with creators and kind of even just dipping their toes in, just commenting, yeah. seeing how that would work. Right. Uh, and then and then mm-hmm. kind of letting that roll. Yeah. Often it feels like brands have a stiffness to them. Like it's, there's a corporate structure. Mm-hmm. There's a lot yes. of, you know, like levels of scrutiny that need to happen. And it feels like this attempt is very much going like, no, we're cool. We're hip. <laughs> we're fine with it. If you don't have a day from Washington Post, if you don't have kind of that internal brand voice you want to elevate, then you can have other people hop in. If you want them to take over your channel um, so that, you know, maybe it's Emily's hot design tips on the Adobe channel and you're doing that over time. If you want yes. to bring in different people doing different series, like you can find people to be that voice for you. Do you have any advice given your experience for brands that are maybe trying to dip their toes into the social realm? Yeah, I, I think watching, listening, kind of getting into that community is best. So everyone has their quirks, like going on Reddit is really hard, going on Pinterest, going on TikTok. They all have their unique community rules and kind of inside jokes. So it can be difficult to navigate. So I'd always just start with, watching, engaging, kind of seeing what's going on. I love like when you create a list of different influencers that you're looking for. So if let's say, you know, let's say we're smart, cheap brand folder, maybe we would want to look for the creative uh, influencers like Emily, you know, maybe brand folder could have hopped in there and gotten a, a, a re- logo redesign. Uh, yes. <laughs> there's a lot of corporate influencers like corporate Natalie is really popular corporate bro that do uh, skits around just being uh, a knowledge worker, being an office worker, working from home and just watching, kind of listening, kind of seeing what, um, you know, is really engaging to their audience, what things they're talking about, commenting, replying, you building those lists out to kind of see who you would want to align yourself with. And that's the start to everything. And then it really goes into what's your voice going to be. So what are we going to move forward with on social or what are we okay with? Like you said, you can be kind of locked up, but on these newer short form video formats, you really have to be more authentic and more human. So you kind of have to get buy-in across the organization on how far you want to take that. And then when you work with the influencers, it's really, you know, I just had, um, I just talked to Meg Reyes about this, who does a a lot of athlete and, and creator work. And she was saying, it's really hard for brands to do this, but as much as they can let the creator just go and create something in their own voice, the better, you know, less like this is the exact words you have to say. These are the exact formats you have to follow. Kind of just letting them, letting them cook is yeah, kind of what you want to let them do. Washed over me with like fairy magical powder. Like hearing, you know, like a corporation <laughs> so be like, hard. just do yes. your thing. Like I feel like that's so against my whole background doing corporate video or corporate. You know, it's it's like you said earlier. It's and can you change yeah. the song? Can you you know like that guy has weird hair? Can you recast him? It's like we already shot the video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's hard. I mean, that's probably that's one of the biggest reasons I love this so much is like when you are in the video field, and we would do you know when we were just trying to make you know pay our bills off, we would do corporate tax videos where you know an, an attorney's office would want to rank higher on SEO. So we would do like 300 separate videos on different clauses. And and it's like, oh man, you are just grinding through those. So any way to get more creative and be like someone who wants to go and try to do something creative like that, I absolutely love. Take a creative risk, uh, maybe get a bigger reward. Yeah. Yeah. 
So our next segment is called Stand With The Brand. So you kind of already talked about one, but... Um, <laughs> you undercut it. <laughs> I, have exa- I have more examples. I wanted to actually go back to Emily Zuge and just because she did, like you said, such a great job and it is awesome to see brands utilizing the voice and like what their brand voice is and bringing a personality and also touching with younger people that are on TikTok or on these platforms. Um, so I'm curious, would you let her redesign your own logo? Would I let Emily Zuge redesign Smartsheet's logo? Yeah, a hundred percent. It is, it shows, especially when you're trying to make an impact in a specific community, showing that you're in on the joke with everyone, showing that you can engage if, and, and all the brands that she redesigned, virtually all of them replaced their logo, not just on TikTok, but every social channel with her yes. logos. It was incredible <laughs> to see, including TikTok themselves. And yes. I think the TikTok logo was like a ticking clock, like a stopwatch. That's what she <laughs> right. redesigned to do. And she right. spelled it wrong. So I, when you think of the old kind of stodgy brands who would never let someone change a logo like that or do anything to affect the brand integrity, yeah, it's, it shows that it, it's fun. And I think the Detroit Lions started selling the Detroit Lions shirts at Lions game in the team shop. Oh my gosh. They, they invited her to the game and she was at the game autographing her Detroit Lions shirts at the Detroit Lions games. Oh That's game. amazing. <laughs> so it's just, it's really fun to see that. So yes, I would absolutely let her do that. And you don't have to keep it there forever, but it shows you're in on the joke. It shows that you are yes. engaging that community and that gets other people to want to do things with you and partner with you. Absolutely. Um, one of my favorites, I'm sure you probably see them, but Slim Jim does a phenomenal job of just like diving into things where I see them comment on something and I'm almost crying laughing because yeah. they're just, whoever does that piece of their marketing is so in tune with what's happening. So mm-hmm. I, I totally get it, which I would, I don't know if she's done Slim Jim, but I think that would be a cool one to do. I also can't do. remember <laughs> she did, but yeah, she did. She did so many of them. It was really, I think she had like four or five and she keeps doing them, which is amazing to see. Yes. I think she would do a great job also doing, uh, looking at our brand folder one and giving us a little advice. I feel like she would have a field day with Smartsheet and brand. Yeah. (laughs) She really would. They're such on the nose names. Like I often think about this sort of spectrum of tech company names and often they're like, Vazoo or Gigo, you know, like these sort of interesting names. And both our companies are like Smartsheet brand folder like they're so <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like this is what we, we tell are. you what it is yeah exactly yeah exactly yes. <laughs> exactly so the second one is actually one of my favorite actors for a variety of reasons but matt damon so he's on the big screen doing a hawks cryptocurrency commercial um so it's just wow. a one minute ad um and the campaign is called fortune favors the brave He kind of takes you, he walks through and takes you on a journey of brave men and women who made a difference in the world, who may have succeeded. And then those who have succeeded because they just kept pushing through uh, and inspiring people to be their bravest selves. Um, And a cool part was that uh, Matt Damon is actually one of the co-founders for water.org. So it brings safe water to and sanitation to those who need it. 
And they paired up with crypto to also do some big donations, which has been great. And this is a quote from Damon. He said, much like what we're doing with water.org, crypto.com is a cryptocurrency platform that shares my commitment to empower people around the globe with the tools they need to take control of their futures. Uh, They have built a crypto platform that is accessible and puts people first. And this is also like worldwide. So those countries that also need water sanitation, they're implementing this so that it's a piece where they can get clean water and then also just thrive in life in general. So my question to you based on this hot take and this partnership is Brian, do you stand with this brand or do you take a seat? Do I stand or take it with the <laughs> cryptocurrency brand? Obviously not water. Yes. <laughs> you wouldn't do that to me on the podcast. Okay. Do I stand or do I sit with no, the brand? Absolutely not. Okay, so my oh, these are. Do you do this with every guest? I think you do, right? These are hard. Yes. Do no. I stand or do I sit on this brand? What's it called? Uh, it's Hawks Cryptocurrency. It's Crypto.com. Cryptocurrency. Yeah. Okay. And just the take on, I mean, Matt Damon being the face of it. I mean, yeah, yeah. What's your What's your hot take on this? Wow. Well, I love a good celebrity influencer. Uh, really established trust there. So I think that's what they're trying to do. They are trying to take a very uh, kind of scary, uncertain, fluctuating uh, market in crypto. Um, You know, there's a lot of crypto ads here in London um, where I'm based and a lot of it's around FOMO and like get in early, get rich quick. So it's like, (laughs) you're like, whoa. And then in big, bold letters here, it's like, this is unregulated. Like you are lose money at your own risk. So it's kind of, it's a little terrifying. Literally one said FOMO. And I was like, oh God, like didn't get in on Doge. Didn't get in on this one. Get on on this one. (laughs) So I do like their play trying to associate it with a repute, like the reputation of a Matt Damon with the reputation of water.org. So they're trying to add more legitimacy, trying to make you feel better about getting into crypto other than being (laughs) a crypto bro, trying to get rich quick. Hey, it's also for charity. It's about being brave. So I would say it is a, it's a decent brand move. I yes. would say good brand move. They're doing the right thing. So I think they probably, you know, when they were doing their persona research of seeing what I'm, what I'm saying, of like, oh, <laughs> yeah. we're, are skeptical, <laughs> scared to get into it. So how do we, how do we, so I think it's a good move. Um, I'm personally out on crypto. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to sit for the brand. I need more than just Ooh. Matt Damon to convince me. Okay. I like it. More than water.org, more than Matt Damon. They wouldn't convince me with that. I I would need, I would need a much longer tail nurturing than just a Matt Damon ad. Just a one minute. Okay. I like it. It's funny because it's (laughs) using the motivation of being brave, like being brave. It's such a strange. Yeah. I feel like being brave, but in an investment sense, it sounds, I don't know. It almost reinforces the risk to me. Like I get the the FOMO. Yeah. Like the FOMO is like yes. Everyone's talking about it. You don't want to miss out. Too. It's a party of the year. Yeah. Yes. But I feel like I made a hundred million dollars in seven days. What are you doing? <laughs> Your job. And it's like, oh, you're right. Yeah. I recently watched uh, just a trashy like uh, dating show, and one of the guys who was mm-hmm. on the you know like one of the subjects, his profession was crypto investor. Which made me go, I'm old. I'm I'm a dinosaur. This is a yeah. profession now. <laughs> yeah. Written on your resume. This yeah. is what I did. 
crypto investor. Do you like put these out to vote on social media? Do you see if other people would sit or sit or quit or stand or sit? Yeah, that's a you great know, Brian, marketing idea. I think, <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm going to shout you out and we're going to do it because okay. I, I like it. I would sit too. Honestly, it's, I like that they brought in the art, like, just in the information, like water.org. It's a good mm-hmm. thing. It makes you feel good. You're helping people. I'm like, am I though? Am I really? Well, that's a lot of it yeah. is going so, like, And that's smart. Yeah. People are sort of self They're going environmental. But yes. like it's, taking, it's like the Tom's <laughs> yeah. approach or the, there's a new sock company that does that too. I feel like there's a lot of companies that are like, not only are you consuming, oh, but you're contributing. Yes. Um, you know, everything like you've heard of, of crypto, you know, contributing to climate change and having, you know, entire cities worth of energy to mine it. Well, this helps water yeah, and yeah, the yeah. environment. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, like trying to yes. convince you otherwise. Yes. Well played. Good marketing. We have one more little segment. We have another one. Yes. I love segments. <laughs> In conclusion, we like to ask a few open-ended questions to everyone. Uh, so Brian, is there anything that you've done recently for the very first time? Oh, I moved internationally. Does that count? Or are we doing more, uh, yeah, more professional huge. focused? That's uh, And how has it been? How's the transition? Are you experiencing any culture shocks or any sort of uh, unexpected Definitely. Results? So yeah, I've lived in the States my whole life. I've lived in a lot of places in the States, um, but moved to London this summer. And it's, I guess, you know, we both work at companies that focus on work. So the work culture is a lot different here. Um, and, you know, not to... Uh, criticize how we do things in America, but it's much more balanced in the UK and Europe than I am used to in the States. Even just, you know, you hear about the vacation days, way more vacation days here, way more, more uh, you know, bank holidays. Who knew about bank holidays? I oh, get wow. a bunch of those every year, which are just little <laughs> bonus days for three-day weekends. But there's so much more of a culture of what I do at work um, is separate from my life. And I have a life that I'm building separate from that work. And that even comes in, in office culture where, all right, it's five, let's go to a pub together and like build a relationship outside of the office. Um, and coming from the startup world, the tech world in the States where there is a lot of the hustle culture, it's pretty refreshing to see people wanting to build the lives outside of what the work is. And even especially coming out of the pandemic where it's eight hours of zoom calls a day and you're kind of trapped in your house uh, it's, it's really nice to see, uh, the difference between those two work cultures. I love that. Yeah. That's lovely. First that, off, that doesn't really answer your question at all, but no, it's I, the difference <laughs> I see for sure. It's wonderful. It also opens up such a nice, you know, that's a nice subject. First off, you say the States yeah. like someone who doesn't like it. It's really <laughs> America. Yeah, I don't say that. But I love that. I love that the separation, I almost feel like America is a work culture. It's a culture that's sort of defined by mm-hmm. work. I often hear people, international people talk about how Americans date is they immediately go, what do you do? And I feel like yeah. in, from other places, they'll, they'll say stuff like, well, what interests you or what brings you joy? Yeah. Or, where are you from? Where are you from? Yeah. yeah. Things that are, that are more about yourself and less about your output into the world. Um, mm-hmm. It's fascinating. That's cool. That's a helpful so that's, thing. That's a, that's, a, that's a personal answer. The other one that I've done for the first time is really in-depth persona research. So I recently changed at Smartsheet to do audience marketing. And at Slope, I did marketing before Slope, I did marketing, but I didn't do like the in-depth persona audience type research. And so, you know, being in marketing for so long, we, you know, both market to marketers for the most part. 
you think you know your audience, but doing there's nothing that replaces doing those interviews. So I learned new things every single call I had. Um, and I would say, you know, doing that in-depth persona research, really understanding the customer base, getting insights from those interviews uh, was one of the more kind of revealing things where it's like, whoa, you really need to put this work in to understand your audience space. So I was happy I did that for the first time. That was a, that was a, a refreshing kind of new marketing, uh, you know, area for me to go focus on. That's awesome. Any specific highlights or memories or anecdotes that really like kind of blew you away? Yeah. I, well, one, the great resignation. A lot of people I spoke to were changing teams, trying to mix things up, going to other roles. So I, that is a big trend that we are seeing is that people are changing jobs. And it's not just going to other companies, it's changing industries entirely. So kind of reassessing through the pandemic, through lockdowns. Maybe I don't want to be doing this specific role. Maybe I want to be trying uh, something else across the company or in a different profession. So I think that was one of the, the most shocking insights the other, like learning about actually doing the work itself, it's so much better just to to be casual with it and almost like have coffee instead of the scripted, you know, go through my list of questions, prompt you in a very structured way. Sometimes you'll just go off on tangents and that's where you learn the most. So I got better at doing the interviews when I just started opening up more and not trying to stick to the, you know, the questions one by one. This is for podcasts too, you know, like if you stick to the questions and you're structured, it doesn't really feel like a conversation. You're not really digging into things that people think about, you're kind of just trying to stick to the script. Um, so that was a, that was a big thing that I learned during the interviews. The second question is if you were invited to a show and tell right now and had to bring one item, what do you think you would bring? Oh, that is a great question. <laughs> Who's that? Who, what's my audience? Uh, if it's like a kindergarten class, I'm bringing a lot different than, uh, you know, <laughs> Jim Hannafin and Mark Mater, you know, executives <laughs> at brand folder and smart sheet. <laughs> Uh, maybe let's try a little column A, a little column B. What would you bring to kindergarten class? Ooh, kindergarten class. That is a fantastic question. If it is Mark Mader and Jim Hannafin, you know, if it's the, the old school leaders at Smartsheet and Brandfolder, uh, I won a Carl Malone and John Stockton signed basketball when I was in like a sixth grade basketball camp in Denver. Whoa. And coached by John. <laughs> or, yeah. A Nuggets camp. So I'm sure, you know, Jim and, and you know, Brandfolder team in Denver would love that. Went to a Nuggets camp. Uh, John Hanslick was the coach then. And I like had to, I think I got like second place in like a knockout game. It was like a thousand people. <laughs> So I bring my Carl Malone, John Stockton, you know, dream team basketball uh, to show those two. And I personally love basketball. So it's a connection to myself for kids. I would probably bring like my N64. I'm like, look at what I used to play on. Like, right. look at Mario Kart. Like this is because it's Good. like, look at the, I had to like, you have to blow on the cartridge. Yes. You have to smack it in. You have these controllers. Like, look at the graphics. I'd want to see if it would still hold up and they would enjoy it or not. You know, I know there's Mario Kart now, but I think the old school N64, I kind of would be most proud of to go show off. Yeah, that's a solid, that's a solid bring. I just, I just watched a documentary on sort of the video game culture that, that built what it is now. And it was very, it's called High Score on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Very entertaining. Um, but it was cool to see how those developments arose and the competition between Nintendo and Sony and all these. Yeah. It was very cool. Um, also, just a wild cast of characters <laughs> video game people are, are an eccentric <laughs> yeah. bunch do you have a sport do you have a team now yep. obviously london and seattle are both 
franchiseless places for basketball. Um, yeah. So I'm a Nuggets fan. I'm actually a Denver Ooh, sports fan for the most part. What? I like that answer. Yeah. yeah. So I grew. I was. I lived there when John Elway and Terrell Davis were winning Super Bowls. Yeah. Uh, yes. The Nuggets. I and that was when the Nuggets. I think they were the worst team in NBA history. Like Nick Van Axel <laughs> and Antonio McDice and like those early days. <laughs> Rafe LaFriends. So yeah, I like a lot of Denver teams. I like some Seattle teams too. If the Supersonics came back, I think I'd be a Supersonics Ooh. fan, but Seattle Storm, WNBA team, love them. And then I'm a Tottenham fan in the Premier League here, unfortunately. Nice. So I've picked, I've had a Premier League team for the last few years. That's lovely. I love that you're a Denver sports guy. I am such a, I just, yeah. so I'm a Lakers guy. I'm going to just say that. Lakers are my team. I love that team. <laughs> I was born in Southern California. So they're my second team too. I like the Lakers too. Yeah. But I, I have fallen in love with this current Denver squad, like the last few years of Jokic and Murray. Yeah. And I just feel like they're such a cohesive, fun team to watch. Sweet. So I have one more question. Let's do it. If you had to give a piece of advice for your younger self, uh, what would it be? specific piece mm -hmm. of advice from your journey? Oh, this is also a great question. Wow. There's so much startup advice I could give myself too, which, you know, I might not go into. I'll do more general life advice. Like, ah, oh, get a CTO earlier, Brian. Like, don't <laughs> wait so long to have someone, uh, you know, that's, that's great advice mm -hmm. to any software company out there. Have someone who can build software. Um, I, you know, going off of the work culture and the different uh, countries I've, I've lived in now, I would say to build a community, a life outside of work earlier on. So I, you know, went into my career after college and very like start, you know, when you get into the startup world, you can go, oh, we're just startups all the time. I worked at an accelerator. I was surrounded by other entrepreneurs. I lived in Detroit. So there wasn't a whole lot going on outside that community. So it kind of just has you dive into the business world, dive into slope, dive into your company and you can make sacrifice where you don't have that community afterward. So when we sold the Smartsheet, there was this big hole where I was like, all right, well, I don't have that comp I don't have the slope. I like tied too much of my identity to the company. So I would say build the build the life outside of the startup, build the life outside of whatever your hustle culture, startup, you know, tech, whatever you're doing, uh, make sure you still have time for outside community. Um, and I wish I would have focused on that more poignant advice as someone who came up in entertainment in New York and LA, I would echo the exact same advice. Yeah. It's a consuming, uh, it's almost like you have blinders on and you, you don't address yeah. certain aspects mm -hmm. of life. Um, well, this has been a journey. Realize it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's hard. It takes time and it takes perspective to look back and be like, wow, that's what I was doing. Huh? This has been such an awesome conversation. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks, yeah. Brian. I'm a big fan. I'm going to go subscribe to your TikTok. <laughs> um, I yes. might need, yeah, I'm going to have to sign up. Another follower. <laughs> yeah. Two more. Let's go. Yeah. Every follower counts. Um, this is how I've gotten all of my followers. Just six, 150,000 podcast appearances. That's one awesome. by one. I'm getting the hosts. Well, you have a podcast, it. right? It, do you want to plug anything? Do you want to, do you want to leave the, our audience with any kind of little takeaway? I have a podcast. It's called creative BTS, not the K-pop band. It's behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> So might need to work on that name uh, on SEO, <laughs> but it's called Creative BTS. Um, and yeah, you can follow me at Twitter. It's Brian P. Boucher. Um, TikTok, it's Brian Boucher. And Instagram, it's Brian.Boucher. So all different on all platforms. You figure it out. <laughs>
I love it. I've, it's such a horrible, it's a, it's a worse practice, but I don't know what to do at this point. So Brian Boche, you can find me on other one, other Just platforms. Just Google. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.